You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. We want you to demand more from your money. So start by knowing what you own and owe. We'll help you take the next step at fidelity.com slash demand more now. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody, it's Jean Chatsky. How is your personal relationship with money holding up? Figuring that out, how it makes you feel, why you make the financial decisions you do or you don't, and your goals for your money, well, that can be challenging enough. Now try to factor in somebody else's conflicted relationship with money. It's easy to understand why money and relationships can be so combustible. Enter this week's guests, Talit and Ty McNeely, the couple behind his and her money. They are financial educators who are on a mission to get individuals and couples on the same financial page. And they're also the co-authors of Money Talks, the ultimate couple's guide to communicating about money. And finally, they are the host of the podcast, The His and Her Money Show. We love the name for an obvious reason. Hi, Ty. Hi, Talit. Welcome. Hi, Jean. Thanks so much for having us. We're really excited to be here. Absolutely. So let's just start at the beginning of your journey together. You two are high school sweethearts. Who asked who out? Um, It was all me. It was all me. (laughs) I pursued and eventually um, I was able to get through because ironically, when I when I tried to approach her in high school, there was a rule. Nobody could call Ty's house. Mm-hmm. Nobody oh, could call. She was not allowed to have phone calls or nothing. So really, I could only talk to her at school. And that was the extent of our initial uh, foray into this relationship. And then we went to prom together and the rest was history. That's it. Aww. I had her after that. Wait, I got to know. What year was this? Uh, well, that's going to that's gonna age us. <laughs> age yourself, baby. Yeah, that was uh, uh, high school was high school. about 20 years ago. Yep. And, and so what did you wear to the prom? Oh, I had a beautiful champagne, glittery dress. And you, I think you had an ivory? Yeah, ivory tux. Ivory tux? Yep. Ivory tux. Very nice. You guys say you were total opposites when it came to handling the finances. Who's the saver and who's the spender? Well, Ty, myself, I am the saver, and Talit, he does a good job in spending. Professional spender. Mm-hmm. And and when did you figure this out? So for me, uh, I grew up in a household of five children, and I also have an identical twin sister. So my parents were, I like to say, very frugal growing up. Uh, they didn't necessarily have a lot of conversations with us around money, but their actions spoke louder than words. And so I was just trained as a young girl just to really take care of your money and save it and uh, don't go into debt. So mine was pretty much taught from my family. The irony of it is that I had the, a very similar type upbringing to where my parents were very frugal, but in my eyes, they were very cheap. And so my response wasn't, let me emulate what my parents have done because that was Ty's response. She saw that as a blueprint for herself. I saw it as something I need to run away from. I need to do the opposite. So when I got out on my own, and have my own money, I went to buy everything that I possibly could that had a name brand on it because my parents refused to give me anything that had a name brand on it when I was growing up. 
And as a result, you racked up a quick 30 grand in debt, right? A quick 30, Gene. A quick 30. Mm -hmm. It had nothing good to show for it. It's not like it was student loan debt or real estate. It was just dumb consumerism. And it just got the best of me to the point where I was getting loans to pay off other loans and payday loans to pay off this loan. And I just was in a very vicious cycle of bad financial choices. You know, we've gotten a lot of questions in the past like this from our listeners who say, my husband's spending and I would rather we save, or I've got debt and I can't tell my spouse about it. How'd you come to terms with this without losing the trust in your relationship? So we did lose the trust in the beginning. Uh, Prior to getting married, about three months prior to getting married, and this was after the point that we went through premarital counseling, my husband, um, to be, he was honest with me at that point. He said, you know, Ty, I was trying to hurry up and get out of debt prior to us getting married because he looked at me as this this like financial rock star. Um, I was able to put myself through college completely debt-free, had a great credit score, paid off my own vehicle, $13,000 car in 11 months at the age of 19 and 18. So he, he looked at me as somebody that was almost perfect. And so he didn't want to approach me, so he had fear. So when he did finally approach me, I was devastated. It wasn't that he had the debt because I knew that we can work through that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more or less the trust. I'm like, whoa, if he's keeping this from me, what else is he keeping from me? And so we worked through that. Um, How did you work up, through that? Honestly, Jean, it was a lot of prayer for me. A lot of prayer. Our faith is very, very strong and and a lot of conversations. Um, we were ready to call the whole thing off, but he and I, we sat down. We had a lot of conversations And he just pretty much shared his heart with me. And I was able to take a step back and I noticed all those times when he told me, no, we couldn't go out or all those times he told me he had to go work his second job, that he was really doing this to better his financial situation. And so it made me say, you know what, I I can work with this because he was willing to change. Yeah, it wasn't just talk. You know, I was, although I had made a mess of my situation I was trying to undo it. And I wasn't just talking about undoing it, but I was taking drastic yeah, measures was. to try to get to a better position. And I think that once I was able to get over my fear, come clean and be honest, then we were both able to right. craft a plan because it wasn't like I was in a bad financial place and I wanted to continue in the same behavior and go down the same road. I was like, I need help. Help me figure this out. Let's figure out a plan. Mm -hmm, Right. And so I encourage uh, those who are listening who may be in the same boat. Maybe they do have debt that their spouse is unaware of, or maybe they haven't been all the way honest. Like honesty truly is is best. Um, The truth shall set you free. And so I believe that maybe you're stuck in your finances. Maybe you're even stuck in the communication with your spouse. Uh, Some people like to call it karma. We don't. We just know that you reap what you sow. And so if you want to reap good, you need to be able to sow good. So I would say, come honest, come clean and very, very transparent with your with your mate and uh, move forward. Yes, will there be hurt? Yes, will there be anger, uh, tears, all of that. But you're able to move forward once you really you know, get rid of all of the garbage. Talent, once you come clean, then you have to do the work. How, how, do, you, how do you get yourself to change and how do you get that change to stick? Well, you have to have a bigger picture than today. You have to be thinking, what do I want my life to look like five years from now? What happens is I got to a place to where I was just fed up with the same thing happening month after month. Again, I I was fully employed, had a great job and was getting deposits on the 1st and 15th. But then on the 27th, there was nothing there every single month. And it just got 
super frustrated. I have a job, yet I'm at the gas station and I have to say a little prayer before I put the debit card in to make sure that it goes through so that I have enough gas to get to work. And it's just thoughts like that and situations like that. It just told me that this doesn't make sense. What I'm doing is not working. And you have to get to the place to where you are completely fed up with the same thing and being in the same place and unable to make progress. And that fuels you to want to do things differently. But you have to have it tied to a future version of yourself. You need to think about where you want your life to go. And are the things that I'm doing with my finances going to allow me to get there or going to keep me from getting there? So you have to allow yourself to dream and dream big. Like if I had control of the situation five years from now, I'm going to be debt free. I'm going to be a homeowner. I'm going to have a great credit score. Now, what do I need to do between today and that day to get there? Tal and Ty, I want to go back to that in just a second. But first, let me just remind everybody that Her Money and conversations like this one are sponsored by Fidelity Investments. What if you could demand more from your money? What if you could make your savings work as hard as you do? What if that helped you reach your financial goals faster? It all starts with a financial checkup and an understanding of what you own and what you owe. From there, the folks at Fidelity can work with you to evaluate your investment options and different ways to grow your savings. And you can get started today at fidelity.com slash demand more now. We are happily talking with Talit and Ty of His and Her Money. One of the incredible things about you is that the situation that you just described is something that you actually did. I mean, you not only got rid of that debt, you paid off a $330,000 mortgage in five years. At a very high level, how'd you do that? Well, it started with our mindset. So we went into the home saying that, we don't ever want to make a monthly minimum payment, okay? We knew that having a mortgage for 30 years or 15 or whatever you sign up for, at the end of the day, you're going to pay for that home twice. So what we did was, for starters, we didn't go out and buy a home based on what the bank told us we could afford. We bought a home for much less than what they said because we did our own math. And we said, this is a comfortable number that we want to be at on a month-to-month basis. And so we bought the home right. You have to do that up front. Now, once we got there and we made the declaration that we don't want to make monthly minimum payments, we want to do something to accelerate it. We looked at our numbers and what shocked us was, well, based on everything that was going on, there was a lot of transitions happening. Not only were we in this new home, but we had our third baby had just arrived. I was starting a brand new job in a couple of weeks. So we were in a, a lot of transition. And so when we looked at our numbers, we said we can only afford to send an extra $20 principal payment on top of our minimum payment. And so we, we did yeah, that. And we didn't look at that as a small number. We looked at that as a start. And so I encourage everybody, don't necessarily look at your financial picture and say, well, I can't afford it. They, there's something that maybe you can possibly cancel, such as a subscription that you're not using. Um, and so we had only $20 in the beginning. And that $20 actually uh, gave us the fuel to actually, of course, we had to increase income. We found ways we did side hustles. I mean, we sold furniture. We would buy furniture from the thrift store and turn around and flip it. There was so, there was so many different things that we did in order to knock this debt off. And before we knew it, it was paid in five years. And actually, we paid it on the very same date that we actually took exactly out our loan five years, five years oh, later. Well, there's the karma kickback for you, right? Yeah. That, that's great. I want to learn a little bit more about your marriage and your relationship. 
Ty, when you first got married, did you take full responsibilities for the finances because you were the one who was good at dealing with it? Yes, I did, actually. Um, but that was one of our mistakes that now we teach to others not to do. Uh, when we decided to get married, Talit had the bright idea and said, you know what, since you're good with the numbers, you seem to be rocking at this. Why don't you take it over, create the budget, and you just let me know how much I need to spend? I thought it was a great idea. I'm like, okay, I was able to figure it out for myself. Why not figure it out for our marriage? But what happened was, as time went on, there was built-up frustration, unspoken frustration. I had no idea that Tyler was feeling like this was a mother-child relationship, like I was telling him, this is how much money you have now for allowance to spend for the week. But he knew how much money he was making and bringing into the home. And then I, on the other hand, I felt almost taken for granted. I'm like, wow, here it is. I'm putting in all the, the sweat and tears into this. And I like to say he was crying like a big baby. He wasn't literally crying. Why is it always <laughs> got to be a big baby? Because you're, you're like 6'3". <laughs> so you were like crying like a big baby. And so, but really we knew that, hey, no, we're doing this backwards. Talent does need to be involved. Although he was not good with money does not mean that he doesn't have any say with our finances. I so get you. I mean, I always say that if you have to ask permission, it's parental. It's not romantic. Like that is the fastest way to wipe the romance out of your marriage is by having to say, honey, can I spend $20 (laughs) on a ticket to something? 100%. You have to both have your hands into the plow to, to get to where you're trying to get to as a couple. So Do you ever fight or, as I prefer to say, have heated discussions about money at this point? We don't. I don't don't think we fight. We have Mm -mm. differences of opinions. And what what kind of differences of opinion? Well, again, I'm still always prone to spend. So, for example, when we were in the midst of paying off our mortgage, let's just say we would get a check in. It could be a tax return or it could be something. And then I would say, well, you know what I want to do with it. I want to throw this straight to the mortgage. And Talent, on the other hand, will say, well, why don't we throw this amount to the mortgage and let's leave this for something else? Investing or yeah, or equipment estate, or something for you know. our brand or something it was, yeah. something. And so we had just a difference of opinions, but we don't have heated arguments. It's all a discussion in our house and we both come together and we make sure that whatever we do, we're on one accord. We understand that we both have value and we both have uh, good opinions. It's not that mm-hmm. your way is right and Absolutely. mine is wrong. It's just that we see it differently. But in this situation, which one of these two choices is the best? Right. Thing? A lot of people have trouble with this, though. They have trouble just talking about money with a spouse. So if you guys have managed to make it comfortable, how do you do that? What are, What phrases should we not be using? Well, one, you want to do it at the right time, right? I think it's wrong to always start If you're in a situation where you're not on the same page whatsoever financially, stop talking about the numbers for a second and go back and just talk about dreaming. Like how we like to tell people to go on dream dates, go out and just dream, Mm -hmm. take a piece of paper or pull out your notes app. And one of you talk and say, listen, if you had your choice, if there was nothing holding you back, no restriction, what would life look like for you, for us five years from now? And then the other person does the same and you record it and you use that information. You And if you see your spouse starting to be restrictive in their thoughts, be like, no, just if, if, you, if you could have anything. And then you look at that information and then you figure out a plan. OK, if that's where we want to get to and this is where we're at. Now let's figure out how to get to that place before you start pulling out a calculator and talking about the situation. And you should never point the finger or blame. Um Although Talent was the one that came into the marriage with the debt, I've never once brought up his past mistakes or failures. We were now a team. And so you have to look at it that way. Say, what are we both going to do to get ourselves out of this situation and turn things around? What are your financial goals as a couple now? 
Well, we want to get into real estate um, in a major way. And so we're doing our research and we're studying the market, seeing which model we want to attempt because there's so many different ways that you Mm -hmm. can get into real estate. And so our goal now is to build our investment real estate portfolio. And those three kids that that you were (laughs) talking about earlier, how are you bringing them along financially? You know what? They they see us a lot, almost like when I was growing up, um, they see our actions, but we do sit down and we talk with them about their money. They are given money, uh, like such as for birthdays and different things like that. And we teach them how to save, give and spend. And so we try to teach them on their level. Our oldest is nine and the youngest is five. So we try to teach them in a way that they can understand. But trust me, we're talking about money in this household. <laughs> I I believe that you are, and I believe you're doing it often. Tal and Ty McNeely, where can we find more of you? I just love talking to you feels like a nice hug. Oh, Oh, we appreciate you, you. Jean. Uh, Everybody that's listening, come to our website, hisandhermoney.com. Every last social media platform, our handle is at hisandhermoney. We'd love to see you. And uh, we also have a great podcast that you can tune into called The His and Her Money Show. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast. I hope we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Jean. Thanks, Jean. And we will be right back with Kelly and your mailbag. <laughs> Kelly Heltgren has joined me in the studio. So you wouldn't know from talking to Ty and Tal what a bad day they were having. <laughs> no, you wouldn't, because they have the best personalities ever. They were calling us from their home base, but they had run out of gas. That has never happened to me. Has it happened to you? It has never happened to me, but it did happen to Elliot in his former life many, many times. And it, it was not his fault. He tells a story about running out of gas on the way to the airport for his first honeymoon. For his first—I I had to pause for a second and recalibrate for his first honeymoon. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So did, did they miss their flight? No, I think they I think they made their flight. I think they made their flight. I don't, I don't remember. I, have, I think they—I know they had a wonderful time. I have to push back. How— if you're, if you're constantly running out of gas in your car, does that mean one doesn't pay close enough attention to the amount of gas in the car? It could, you know, it was the <laughs> Intent, 70s. Elliot? <laughs> it, it, it could mean, Elliot, Elliot is great about this, but it, it could just mean that, um, it could, I don't know, I think it could mean that you've got a car that doesn't have a, a meter that works particularly well. My running partner, Diane, yes. showed up the other day furious because she was driving on fumes and she was rushing to meet me because we try really hard when we go for a run in the morning to get out there mm-hmm. in time so that she can get to work on time and I can get to the train on time. Sure. And her husband had not put gas in the car and oh. he had used it all weekend oh, and would... she was running mm-hmm. on fumes. And I I said, we, we, we spent a good portion of our run charting the road that she would take home which would lead her to the gas station that was easiest to reach downhill. Oh my gosh, that's amazing! So that <laughs> that's so good. She she, made, she texted me. I made it. Did she make she it? She made okay. it. But you know, it, it's a horrifying feeling that you might run yeah. out of gas. Oh yeah. my gosh, yes, especially if you. I mean, I hope it sounds like he was in the neighborhood or she was in the neighborhood. But it's really scary to think when you aren't around any civilization yeah. and you might only have your phone if you have your phone. So I'm glad everything worked out and they made our show in time. I am absolutely <laughs> as well. Um, what do we have in mailbag? Sure. We have a few questions this week. First one from Lauren. How in the world does anyone reach a credit score of 850? Mine is all over the place. 
twice. One day it's up 19 points, and then suddenly it's down 10. WTF. What can I do to get over 700? Okay, so these are two very, very different questions. Reaching 850, I am convinced, is a bit of a fluke. Mm. Um, I mean, we did talk to Michelle Singletary, who did it, woke yes. up one day, and she was pretty surprised herself that she was at that number, although she was definitely making sure that she managed her utilization, that she was using only a fraction, not even 10 percent, mm -hmm. of the credit that she had available to her. Yep. And I, I think that's a very, very big part of it. Over 700 is completely attainable. Mm -hmm. And here is what you need to do. You need to pay your bills on time every single time. Even one or two late payments can be responsible for knocking you below that 700 mark really quickly. Mm -hmm. So on time, every time, put as many as you can on automatic pilot. Like, that's an easy thing to do. Number two, you've got to make sure that you are not using very much of the credit that you have available to you. That is credit utilization. When we look at all of our credit lines, both in the aggregate across all of our cards and on each card individually, you do not want to be using any more than 30% of the credit available to you. And some people say even that is by far too much. And here's where people get stuck. They charge their cards up close to the limit and then they pay it off and they think their utilization is fine. Your utilization is not fine. Even if you are paying your card off in full every single month, if you're coming close, call your card company and ask for an increase in your credit limit. You can't be applying for credit. You don't want to be out there filling out credit card applications, and you shouldn't shut down cards that you are not using either. Let that credit limit continue to help you. Finally, you want to try to maintain a mix of credit and do those things. It's not going to happen overnight, but it will happen in 6 to 12 months. You should find yourself above that 700 mark. Great. Now we'll do one from Callie. Hello, I'm a regular podcast listener, just finished The Difference, and about to start Money Rules. Oh my goodness, thank yeah. you. I love being in my financial front seat, but can often obsess about details because I'm convinced there is a single best, which she has in quotes, choice. For example, should I be saving my emergency fund in a high-interest savings account or in a money market account? What about my house fund? Should I be combining those savings in a single account to earn more interest or keep them separate? How do I deal with my financial FOMO? When is good enough good enough? P.S. If you could also also give me your input on my savings that I mentioned, I would be grateful. Okay. There's 12 <laughs> questions there. So can you back up? Let's just take them one by one. Start with her first question. Sure. The first question is, should I be saving my emergency fund in a high interest savings account or in a money market account? You're going to basically get the same rate from both these days. And so I would say whichever is more convenient for you, just go to bankrate.com, find the best rate, put it there. What about my house fund? Your house fund should be in the same place um, because that's money that you're not spending. Your next question I know is, is, should it be in a separate account? And the answer is maybe if it helps you to visualize your goal. So sometimes if we have a separate account with a separate name on it and your bank will allow you to open many, many savings accounts generally put a different name on every single one of them and not charge you additional money for doing this. 
If it helps you, and research has shown that it does help some people to put a name on that account and call it your house fund, and you think you're more likely to put more money into this particular account because it's labeled in that way, then separate it. And we'll do one more from her. How do I deal with my financial FOMO? Oh, this is tricky. This is very, very tricky. And it's financial FOMO. It's not just FOMO, which seems to me that she is saying fear of missing out of gains in the market. Yes, me that's, too. That's how I take that. And the way that you get over it is just by being in it. And even if you can only be in it with a small amount of money as you're getting started, you want to keep contributing automatically every time you get paid. Bump up your contributions when you can and keep visiting those accounts to feel good about what you're doing. And we'll squeeze in one more from Donna. My daughter has no credit and is out of college without a degree. I would like her to build credit. What is the best credit card for this situation? A secured credit card is probably going to be the best bet. A secured credit card is a card where you make a deposit with the issuing bank. That amount becomes your credit limit as long as you pay your bills on time, Every time for the next 18 to 24 months, typically, it'll convert to a regular credit card. If your daughter has income, she may be able to qualify for a plain credit card, um, a non-secured credit card, but you didn't specify. So without a job, without income, a secured card is the way to go. Amazing. Thank you, Jean. And thank you, everyone, for submitting your questions. You can email them to me at mailbag at hermoney.com. Thanks, everybody. And in this week's Thrive, is Venmo coming for you? I often feel like it's coming for me. I get (laughs) Venmos from my daughter. How often do you use the money-sharing app to send payments to friends and family or even to pay your rent? Venmo has done a great job of making its payments seem almost fun. What's not to love about using emojis as a description of your purchase? Tiny hot dog or T-bone steak, anyone? But the company changed its user agreement in December to indicate that it may engage in collection and other efforts to recover lost monies. And in January, that went into effect. Fast forward a few months, and now people who carry a negative balance on Venmo or those who may have been scammed into making fraudulent purchases or had their accounts hacked have found themselves on the receiving end of the company's collection efforts. To protect yourself, take a very, very good look at your account. If you can't remember the last time you updated your password, do it today. And if you find yourself with a negative balance, figure out if there's anything you can do to recoup those losses before any would-be collectors come knocking. Finally, if you don't like the sound of any of this, remember... The delete button is always a click away. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thank you to the McNeelys for the fantastic conversation. We hope they got home okay. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts and leave us a review because we like hearing what you think. We also want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Track Tribe, and our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week. We'll be back with another great guest, and we'll talk soon. 